Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. So as we come to the end of our series and over this, uh, this passage, this, this first Peter, uh, we want to give you some final truths that will help you face the difficulties of life, the things that you're going to experience the things that you have experienced, you will experience, or even that you're experiencing now. I want to give you some words of encouragement. So look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 14. As we look at these words this morning under the heading, final words of encouragement, Peter writes this, Young men, in the same way be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Four truths I glean from this little passage. First, we should not be puffed up. The first thing that Peter does is he addresses young people first. Now that may seem odd to us, uh, that, that he addresses young people first, but, but I believe Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew something about human nature. Uh, he knew something was going on. Verse 5, he says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Now, in verses 1 through 4, he uses the word elder to talk about somebody that gives wise counsel, but here he purposely changes it from elder to older. So he's talking about younger men, younger women, and older men and older women. He says, look up on these individuals. Live in humility toward these individuals. Don't think you're better than they are. I remember hearing the words of Mark Twain. He said this, when I was 18, I thought my father was the dumbest man I'd ever met. But when I became 21, I was amazed at how much he had learned in three short years. (laughs) It would do some of our young people good to look up to their elder, to older people, to look up to those who have more wisdom, more maturity. It would do them well. However, just in case you get puffed up, he has something to say for us too. Look at that. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So even though he singles out the, the younger folks, now he comes back and says, but all of us ought to live in humility. All of us ought to have this type of attitude. Some people, because they thought they were older, because they thought they were more mature, they might think they have it up on the, on the ones that are younger. So Peter says, no one should be puffed up. In the family of God, 
humility should be the attitude that all of us have in our relationship with one another. And humility is an interesting word. As I, I looked it up this week and studied it a little bit more, humility means literally means to tie the knot. And it was a, a word used in the slave area where a slave would take up an apron and he would tie the knot on his apron. It's an attitude of service, an attitude of tying the knot. So Peter is saying, tie on humility as you begin to look at one another, younger to older and older to younger. Perhaps, we have no way of knowing, but perhaps Peter had in his mind the upper room. You remember the upper room experience? on the night before Jesus was crucified. All the disciples and the, and the Lord gathered around the, the table. And the Bible tells us they were arguing uh, before they went in the room and even some around the table about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And then Jesus did something uncharacteristic to them they'd never seen before. He took off his outer garment and he put on an apron and he tied the apron around him, the apron of a servant. And so Peter is saying we ought to have that same type of attitude, the younger toward the older and the older toward the younger. You see, we're not any better than Jesus. Amen? We're not any better than Jesus. So we too are to put on the slave's apron. We too are to put on humility as a garment and we humble ourselves and we serve one another. And when we begin to humble ourselves and serve one another, that's when we begin looking more and more like Jesus. But then he tells us why we should not be puffed up. Look at verse 5, the latter part of it. He said, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word opposes is a military term. It means come up in opposition toward uh, another individual or toward an army. It's getting an army together to make battle. Peter is saying if there's one thing that gets God ready to do battle with you and me, it's when we're prideful, when we're proud. He said, if you're prideful and you're full of proud, God's going to make war against you. He's going to come against you. Because God opposes, He makes war against the proud, but what? He gives grace to the humble. This is what he's saying. So he's saying, don't be puffed up. Don't think too highly of yourself. Instead, be humble toward one another. Second, we should be dependent upon God. You see, when we're puffed up, when we're arrogant, when we're prideful, we become self-reliant. We don't think we need any help. We don't think we need anyone else. And so we think we can handle things on our own. But notice what, what uh, Peter says in this passage. He says, humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. This idea is that we willingly place ourselves under the care of another. In this context, we are willingly placing ourselves under the care of another person, someone who has authority, someone who has power. It's the same word that's used when we go under the knife with a surgeon. We willingly place ourselves in the care of the surgeon because we know he's going to do what's best for us. When you go under the table, trust me, you're pretty humble. Uh, you're pretty submissive to the hands of the surgeon. He's saying, in the same way, be that way with God. Place yourself in humility under God, and he'll take care of you. He'll do that. In, 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 the, in, in the midst of, uh, of this idea of younger submitting themselves to older and older submitting themselves to younger, this mutual humility, he says, we're doing that. Why? Because we trust God. God's the one that's going to take care of us in the midst of that 
situation. He's saying this is the type of relationship we ought to have with the Lord. We ought to submit ourselves to His care. Not only do we humble ourselves in the hands of mighty God, look at verse 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Many of you quote that verse by memory, but you didn't know it came out of 1 Peter. You know, we, we sometimes don't know the address, we just know the verse. And that's okay, that's okay. But here it is, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That word anxiety means to pull apart. It means divide you. It means to have a distracted mind. Jesus talked about it. He talked about the cares of life and the worries of life. And they distract you. And they keep your mind in turmoil. And you're not able to stay focused. We all have them, don't we? Don't we all have cares? We all have concerns. We all have distractions and they cause anxiety in our life. We have those things that disturb us. We have those things that trouble us. You know, it could be the job. It could be the family. It could be a problem you're going through in a relationship. It could be church concerns. We all have those, those distractions, those anxieties in us. And the truth of the matter is, we all have cares. We all have problems. We all have difficulties. What do we do with the, the anxiety that comes from these cares and these worries that we have in life? Some people keep them inside of them. And they, they bottle them up inside and they become depressed. And they become, they become full of anxiousness in them where they can't function. And, and, and they just they keep it all with inside of them. And it causes heartache and it causes headache. And it causes problems. You can't sleep. You become depressed. And the worries overtake you. Other people don't implode, they explode. Uh, Instead of breaking down, what they do is they break out and and they they try to encourage themselves through, 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 uh, through exploding on others. But Peter say, say, instead of breaking down or instead of breaking out, he says, we need to break through. We need to break through. We need to claim the promise that Peter says that if we will cast our care, if we will cast our anxiety on him, he cares for us. Let me give you another great verse that you can remember. Psalm chapter 55, verse 22 says this, Cast your cares on the Lord. And He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. That's a great verse. You ought to highlight it. You ought to underline it. Psalm 55, 22. You ought to memorize it. When, you, when you're having difficulty, just remember what the psalmist said. Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. Notice what it does not say in that passage. He doesn't say He'll get you out of the problem you're in. He said He'll get you through it. And sometimes that's what we fail to understand. Sometimes God doesn't pick you up and transport you out of your difficulty, out of your problem. But if you will commit it to God and say, God, I trust you, He will get you through it. Why? Because He's never going to let, He'll never fail the righteous. He'll never let the righteous fall. Peter says, cast your cares, cast all your anxiety and the tense of the verb that Peter used here, that word cast, means to cast once and for all. Cast it once and for all upon God. Now, we don't really want to do that either, do we? You know how it works, don't you? You, you go to the Lord in prayer, 
And Lord, I've got a concern. Lord, I've got this problem. Lord, I've got this worry. I've got this anxiety in my heart, Lord. And we pray about, Lord, I'm giving it to you, God. I trust you, God. You're going to take this, and I know you're going to free me of it. And the minute you start praying, we pick it back up, and we start worrying about it again. You see, we don't really commit it to God because we don't trust Him. Gabby and I were talking about this, that this morning and how prone we are, are, are to, to hang on to that anxiety. But God says, it's cast it on me. Cast it once and for all and trust me with it. And I'll remove it from you and I'll get you through it. Look at that second part of the verse. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Have you ever thought that nobody ever cared? You ever thought that nobody really took an interest in you? You start thinking, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody really thinks about me. According to Peter, God knows. God knows what you're going through. And according to Peter, guess what? Your problems are his problems. Your troubles are God's troubles. Your burdens are his burdens. Your heartaches are his heartaches. Peter says, cast them to God. Give them to God. Because He cares for you. So we need to be dependent upon God. We need to not be puffed up. We need to, not be, dependent, uh, we need to be dependent upon God. And third, we need to understand the power and influence of Satan. We have a strong adversary in the world. And his job is to destroy us. His job is to bring us down. For this reason, Peter writes in verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Be self-controlled and alert. Today, we would say, keep your head together and pay attention. Keep your head together and pay attention to what's going on around you. It could be similar to what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the story. The night before Jesus was crucified, he met in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he went off, and he had Peter, James, and John. He said, stay here and keep watch and pray. What happened to Peter? He went to sleep. And the minute he went to sleep, what happened? He fell in the temptation. Jesus told him, he said, keep watch lest you fall in the temptation. What did he do? He went to sleep. And he, next thing that happened, Satan was able to tempt him to deny Jesus. First he fled. Then he denied Jesus. Here Peter is telling us, stay alert. Stay on the stay on the." the, the Keep the radar up because there's an enemy out there. And you got to be mindful of that. I remember when I was in the military, one of my jobs that I had, you have many jobs in the military in case you didn't know. I had many jobs. One of my jobs, I was the custodian of the Naval Warfare Publication Library. Uh, what that is, is, is a book, of, it was a, a series of books, uh, white, yellow, and red, white being confidential, uh, uh, yellow being secret, and red being top secret. I was in charge of keeping those up to date. And what it did is it gave us intelligence on all the enemies around us. And sometimes we come in contact with an enemy ship on an enemy plane, and the captain would say, Worley, get me the publication, so, 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 and so. And I'd go and bring it to him. He'd open it up, and he would find out what are the details of this ship, what are the details of this aircraft, so we would know the capabilities of our enemy. Peter is telling us, know the capabilities of your enemy. Aware, know what's going on with the enemy. The more you know his, his abilities, the more you know what he's capable of, the more you're going to be able to stay alert in those situations. Listen, we have an enemy and he is real. 
And it's an enemy enemy who is real. Look at what he says. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That word enemy is a word that's used of an opponent in a lawsuit. In other words, this enemy that's against us, he brings up charges against us. He's constantly making accusations against us. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says this about our enemy. In the latter part of verse 10, it says, For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Not yet. Not yet. But we have an adversary. And what he does, he accuses us day and night before God. And he accuses God before men. And he accuses men toward men. He's constantly raising up accusations and charges against us. We have an enemy, and he's a slanderer, and he's an accuser. The Bible says he is the father of lies. He is deceptive, and he is evil, and all he wants to do is destroy us. He goes on and says, not only is our enemy accusing us, but he describes him, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, we like to think the devil's in hell, don't we? That's what we like to think. But according to Peter, he's not in hell. He's active. He's out there. What's he doing? He's looking. He's looking for those that he can devour. And the idea is that a roaring lion, when you think about that, right before a lion pounces on his prey, he gives a loud roar and it freezes his victim. And then he's got him. But he's a roaring lion looking for those that he may devour. That word devour means to gulp down. Listen, Satan is on a tear and he wants to rip people apart. He rips apart homes. He rips apart relationships. He rips apart churches. He rips apart lives. That's his job. That's his job. That's the only job he's got. It's to destroy us. We got to know the enemy. However, he says we have the ability to resist him. In verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith. We have the ability to resist the devil. He's talking about standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers out the world are ungoing the same kind. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith, he's talking about an army standing single file with no gaps in the army. I've been reading a, a series of, of novels, uh, historical fiction. It's about 11 books, I think. And it's about the story of the, uh, of, uh, in England where Christianity, uh, where the, 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 the Vikings and the, the Danes are trying to destroy England. And there's one king that stands united, a Christian king who stands united against the enemy. And every time they go into battle, they build what they call a shield wall. And in that shield, they stand side by side with their shields so that the army cannot attack them. And nobody breaks the shield wall. Nobody breaks the shield wall. He's saying in the same way, he said in the same way, stand firm in the faith, each one of you single file, linking arms, standing firm in the faith. What are our, what are our weapons that we have? We basically have two weapons to stand against the devil. We have the Word of God and we have prayer. That's the two weapons we have. What did Jesus use when he battled Satan? He used the Word of God and he used prayer. 
That's the same weapons that we have. We resist Him. But we don't resist Him in our own strength. We resist Him in the faith that we have. And the weapons are our faith, our Scripture, and prayer. Know the Word of God. And know the God behind the Word. Know those and you'll be able to do it. And listen, then he says, hey, look, you're not alone. He says that in the latter part of verse 9. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings right now. Right now. There's brothers and sisters around the world. They're going through similar problems. They're going through the same stuff. Matter of fact, some of them are going through it worse than we are. The worst thing that might happen to us, we might not be able to say Merry Christmas. They can't even celebrate Christmas. But they're going through it. Others are going through problems, even right here in this room. Others of us are going through similar problems and similar difficulties. How do we do it? We stand firm in our faith. We unite together to fight a very powerful enemy. So we've got to understand the power and influence of Satan. We've got to be dependent upon God. We should not be puffed up. Finally, we've got to live in light of the promise. In verses 10 and following, he takes his tension off of earth and he looks heavenward. He begins to focus on the end. Look at what he says in verse 10. And the God of all grace. Isn't that a great word? The God of all grace. If he is the God, since he is the God of all grace, you know what that tells me? He has a monopoly of grace. There's some things that only God can do. One of the things that only God can do is dispense grace. Only God can do that. We might be able to give a little bit of grace, but that only comes because of the grace of God. He has a monopoly on grace. Notice what it says in this passage. He said, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He's called us into relationship with his glory through Jesus Christ. This is what he's doing. He's called us to be his people. And someday we will experience glory. Not yet. But someday we will experience glory. And Peter is saying, there's no trial there's no tribulation. There's no trouble that will keep us from the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Because God's called us into His glory in Christ. That's what He's telling us. Everything which begins with grace ends in glory. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You're going to go to glory. When you receive the grace of God, you're going to experience the glory of God. But, we still live in troubling times, don't we? I got news for you. This isn't heaven. We still live in the world. We still live in times of difficulty. Peter acknowledges this truth in verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God will give us the ability to endure the suffering here on earth. Even if it's just for a little while, he's going to give us the ability to stand firm. Notice what he's going to do. It says, after we've been through a little suffering, 
It says, He'll restore us. He'll restore us to the way we were previously. He'll restore us to that condition we were before the suffering, before the difficulty, before the hardship, before the trial, before the trouble. He will restore us. And then what? He will give us the ability to stand up to whatever we might face. He said, He'll restore us and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So as you go through the trial, as you go through the tribulation, as you go through the trouble, God gives you the ability. He restores you. And then after you've been through it, guess what? You're going to be stronger to endure whatever else may come your way. The point is, God will strengthen us in every way possible. No matter what kind of suffering we may experience, no matter what kind of difficulty we may have to go through, no matter what kind of troubles we might face, our future is secure and God's grace will see us through to the end. We can trust that. We can believe that. And what we will, be, what we will learn, my friends, as we go through those troubling times, and they're going to be here. When we go through those troubling times and we lean on God and we lean on our faith, we lean on our Christian brothers and sisters, guess what? We will learn. We will learn then, yes, yes, God's grace is sufficient. His grace will get us through. And someday, we will experience glory in heaven. But until then, until then, we can't be puffed up. We've got to be dependent upon God. And we need to understand the power and influence of Satan and live in light of the promise. Do you have that kind of life? Do you have that kind of attitude in your own? Do you know the Jesus that Peter has written about? You can. You can. As David Crowder's song says, I think he says, there is no, uh, God, he says, there is nothing on earth that heaven can't heal. Nothing you're going through here that heaven can't resolve. For some of you, you need to turn it over to God and quit trusting in yourself. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard today. Maybe you're going through a trial. Maybe you're going through a tribulation. Maybe you're going through some troubles in your life. And you need somebody to pray with you, somebody to encourage you, somebody to, to keep your feet firmly grounded. We want to be able to help you do that. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you, somebody to talk with you. Maybe there is somebody here who said, you know, I just need Jesus in my life. I just need somebody that I can cast my cares upon and know that He cares for me. Kip's going to come and lead us in a song. Cassie's going to come and play. I'm going to ask you to stand. Marcy's going to make her way down here. She'll be here to, to pray with you. I'll be here to pray with you. Whatever decision you make, we're going to invite you to come as we join together. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here. Father, we've heard your word proclaimed through song, through prayer. Father, even through the, the giving of our offerings, Father, we've heard you. Father, through your word today, we've heard what your word has to say. Father, the only thing left for us to do is just to respond to the truth that we've heard. I know, Father, there's people here today 
going through hard times. It could be difficulties, Father, with family, difficulty, Father, with friends, difficulties, Father, with relationships, or maybe a job. Father, maybe it's their health. God, you know. So I pray, Father, during the quietness of this moment that you will calm their hearts. Father, during this quietness, Father, you would just tell them to be still and know that you are God. And Father, they will be willing to cast all their anxiety upon you because, God, you care for them. Father, would you speak to their hearts this morning? Calm their spirits. Calm their fears. Father, give them the assurance of your presence and that you are more than capable of taking their burdens, of taking their cares, taking their worries, taking their troubles, and Father, getting them through those things. Father, we pray that there's somebody here today, Father, that really needs an extra touch of your grace. The Father, you speak to their hearts. Lord, whatever decision needs to be made publicly, we pray, Father, that pride will not keep us from publicly saying we need help. Help us, Father, to humble ourselves under your mighty hand because you care for us and you'll take care of us. We give you this time, Father, for you to work. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.